This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land. This episode of Ready or Not is brought to you by Elan House of Wellness, the ultimate destination for postpartum care, supporting mothers with food, education, self-care tools and gifts. I said somebody needs to help me because I don't know what is going on, but I'm so scared. No one has their shit together. I'm not dead mad or I'm not a bad mum. My husband even turned to me, still in the birth suite, and was like, oh my goodness, you are back. To the stay-at-home mum, when you're looking at people going to work because you're exhausted and you've got screaming kids on you all day, they are at their desk or wherever they are yearning to be home looking after their sick kids. Your ability to be a mother has nothing to do with your experience or joy of pregnancy. I have to remind myself that anytime we break down or we we go through these things, something greater comes out of it. It's so easy to think you're the only person going through something. It might be easy to pin Sophie Pierce and Jade Caldwell as two mothers that are living the dream when it comes to parenting and paid work. But that would be to miss the point entirely. Six and a half million downloads, partnerships with some of the country's biggest brands, and over 200 episodes later, the pair have been incredibly influential when it comes to opening the floodgates for genuinely honest parenting dialogue. Here, the mothers share why making work work isn't quite working at the moment, the ways in which motherhood can light you up and break you down, and what they've learned about navigating it all along the way. Mental health challenges, relationships, the good bits and the more challenging bits. This episode has it all. But as the mothers to three girls each will tell you, they don't, because nobody really has it all figured out. I'm Lucinda, this is Ready or Not, and here is the dynamic duo themselves. The vivacious and vulnerable, Sophie Pierce and Jade Caldwell. So I feel like I need to give context to listeners today first, because otherwise I look like a stalker. And that's that I've known Sophie since I was about four years old. We've been to each other's hens days, weddings. We've been friends for nearly 30 years now. So Jade didn't even know this either. But today I am talking to Sophie and Jade from Beyond the Bump. Six and a half million downloads and counting, four years and Look, I'm only a year and a half into mothering, so maybe I can't really talk, but I feel like you guys have been some of the people that have genuinely opened up these conversations that actually mean something around motherhood. Before we get into the podcast, I want to take you back 10 years. Tell me what you thought you might have been doing for your career 10 years ago. Oh, let's do some maths. So how old am I now? 32, 22. Okay, so this is Sophie talking. 22 years old, I was studying medicine. So definitely did not see this in my future. I was in, yeah, I was studying. I was enjoying studying medicine. I was in that stage of my life where I was like, I'm going to be an obstetrician and be like so high up in my field. And I'm also going to have five kids and I'm never going to miss an assembly. (laughs) And I was just like, I'm going to do it all because I am woman and I can And then it wasn't until I think I became a mum that I was like, I'm fucking tired and I can do it all, but I don't want to do it all. (laughs) I'm tired. There's a very big difference. 10 years ago, absolutely would not have, I don't think I was really 
was Instagram a thing? I don't like, you know, obviously social media, it was, it was a thing, but it, it wasn't my job at all. But it wasn't what it was today. Yeah. And definitely saw my future being, it's funny because I saw it in like women's health. That was always an area that I wanted to get into, but obviously I thought it would be more, much more medical. So yeah, definitely not. Was podcasting a thing 10 years ago? I don't know. I don't think so. I feel like it was, but I didn't know about it. Like you hear of podcasts that started then and you're like, what? Like what would that have? I was probably still listening to FM radio. Oh, definitely. (laughs) FM radio was the best back in the day. (laughs) Is it still around? No, I'm kidding. I know it's best. (laughs) I, 10 years ago, would love to say that I was doing a job or thinking about one, but I was doing an incredible job being a mother to a one-year-old. So I have a 10-year-old. Yes, that's how old I am. I would have been 26 10 years ago. And yeah, I had a little one-year-old. I moved from Melbourne to Byron Bay to live with my husband, who's born and bred in Byron Bay. And we continued to have another child 16 months later, which was planned, which was incredibly mentally, emotionally draining, challenging, but oh, so beautiful. And then I had a third one four and a half years down the track of that. But if I had sat there in all those years and thought, what would I like to do? Even when I was little, it was something to do in media. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know if it was going to be behind the camera, if it was photography, if it was, I don't know. I just had this real big passion with, with everything media. I'm talking concerts, like just from one aspect to the other. And I found myself in a place that I never knew existed until Sophie asked Mm. me, Hey, do you want to come on? I'm going to start a podcast. And I was like, Hey, what's a podcast? Let me be a co-host. Uh, and... Do you want to do it on FM radio? <laughs> well, so yeah, we just, that's, that's where we are. It's funny you say that about media. Cause I remember towards the end of schooling thinking I either want to do medicine or be an anchor woman and I'm like, there's such different things. But it's funny because I started medicine, but I've ended up probably more like the anchor woman with some spatterings of medicine in between. And I was also really into like drama, singing, dancing at school. And we went to basically went reunion. We went to a school reunion (laughs) thing recently. And I said to my mom, Oh, so maybe I should get back into, you know, some stage stuff or some drama stuff. Like I was so into it and it's something that I've never used. And mum turned to me and she's like, You use it every day. You she's like, even though like I guess what you do is quote unquote authentic, you like throw that word around. (laughs) <laughs> it's still performing every day in your job. And I was like, that's so true. So that I guess so no, true. neither of us knew, but it's the best job ever. Yeah. yeah. It's the best job ever. And so I do want to get to be on the bump next, but I have a question for you, Soph. I've known you for a long time and I know that you're someone that backs yourself in. I'm not saying that you would never have self-doubt because we always yeah. do. Do people that have those really dramatic career shifts or what, what might be perceived as dramatic pre and post motherhood or not necessarily to do with motherhood, but just have really big shifts. What advice would you give to them? Because I reckon you would have just backed yourself in and been like, no, this actually isn't for me. But some people wouldn't have the, I guess, confidence to do that. Yeah. It's funny that that's how it's seen. And I actually get told a lot that it was brave. And I guess in hindsight, looking back, it 
was a brave decision, but it was never actually, I also get asked like, when was the point that you knew that you wanted to go from A to B? And so to be clear, A was I studied medicine. I'd worked two years after that, one year as an intern, then as a resident. It just so happened that the end of my residency contract coincided with me being 36 weeks pregnant with my yes, first child. Yes, that's right. You were at the very end. So it was this um, just really interesting event where obviously my contract ended, I went on maternity leave, and it wasn't like I left that day and was like, wow, I'm never going to step foot in a hospital in this role again. And I don't know how much of this is because I had hyperemesis. I don't know if like, you know, because those nine months of working while being pregnant, while being junior, while being, you know, like the shit kicker at the hospital, all kind of like coincided with me looking back on it, maybe not wanting to return. But yeah, it, it was never this big decision where it's like, and I walk out of the hospital for the last time, never to return. I just went on my way. And then I remember at around Poppy being around 12 months of age, I thought I, you know, and I know that's a huge privilege to go 12 months without having to really think about what you want to do for work. And I remember at the 12 month mark going, I'm really getting that, like, I need something outside of just being Poppy's mum. And then, but then I also thought, shit, but we're kind of starting to talk about trying again for another baby. And I knew the likelihood of me having hyperemesis again was probably high. And I just thought I can't return to work knowing that maybe in the next couple of months, I'm going to feel like that again. And as I said, I had the privilege of choice. So we decided to try for a baby instead. And when Poppy was 14 months old, so I'd been out of the workforce for about 14 months, we conceived Goldie. And once again, I was so sick and there was no way I could have returned to work in a new way during that time. And then it was while I was pregnant that we launched Beyond the Bump. And it was definitely never, you know, we talked about like, what if it gets sponsored? What if we could make money out of this? But it was never the intention of going into it and a massive surprise when that kind of happened sooner rather than later. And so, it, yeah, it's funny that people see it as this really, I guess, as a decision, but to me, it never really felt like a decision. It was just kind of a sequence of events that has led me to where I am now. And each year I get this email saying, do you want to renew your APRA registration? And I just renew as a non-practicing doctor. And everyone is always like, oh my gosh. So like, what happens if you want to return? And I'm like, I actually don't know. I would probably have to do some training again but I'm not going to return right now just so that I can see or do that. It's a, if, if, and I, it, I think more than likely it won't happen, but if I suddenly get to a point in the future that I want to return, then I will do that ho- obstacle when I get to it. But right now I'm just like, I love what I do. So why stress about it? And before we get to be on the bump, you've just made me realize, I guess that something a lot of people go through is the ego attached to what they expected to do versus what they end up doing. Did you ever have to challenge yourself in that way? Or was it like, no, I'm backing myself in? Absolutely. And I think because what we do is such an unconventional job and it's often, I guess it's, I feel like it's often the older generation that I feel sometimes a bit of judgment from. And I definitely, I don't think my parents ever judged me, but obviously there was a part of them that like, you know, they helped me get through uni it's an expensive course. 
I guess there was part of me that was like, shit, have I let them mm. down going from being a doctor to being an influencer slash podcaster before podcasting was like really big. I mean, I know that lots of people were doing it, but like no one understood how you made money from that. People were like, oh, what, an hour a week? You jump on and talk shit on a microphone? Like you could have been a doctor. And so, yeah, it, the only times I've doubted it is when you're like at a social occasion and I'm like, it would be so much easier if I could just turn around and say, <laughs> I'm a doctor. And then like automatically probably respect that. They would automatically get what I do day in, day out. Sometimes I feel like because my job is so flexible and it's so fun, I don't deserve to ever be stressed out or be exhausted from it because imagine if I was working as a doctor. That is really interesting. And uh, for anyone listening, podcasting is so much bloody work. So you have every right to be stressed out. Yeah. So Jade, Sophie comes to you with this idea for a podcast. You're still listening to FM radio, not even sure what a podcast is at the time. No, I'm just joking. No, you're not. Uh, no, spoiler alert. <laughs> you still doesn't listen to podcasts. <laughs> Don't tell him. Just her own. Just her own. Will you just promise one. to listen to I get this the episode? I get the ratings up. Yeah, I'll listen to yours. That's fine because I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> so Soph comes to you with this idea. What happens next? I was going to go on there to talk about my postnatal journey because I had postnatal depression and anxiety. And when I was thinking about it, I can barely remember now, it was so long ago, but as Sophie recalls, I just said to her, I said, would you want a co-host? Cause I think this would be great. And I obviously had, how many kids did I have back then? Three. I had three. Cause you had postnatal after your third. Yeah. So I had a, I think she would have been about four or five months old. Mm. Yeah. She was about, my third was November, 2019 that we launched. Okay. She was nine months old. Nine months old when we started. Oh, wow. That's a hard time with babies too. Like, I don't know about you guys, but yeah, eight that's to ten months now. was yeah. challenging. Yeah, it was. It was challenging. And then the other two. But it was something that was so rewarding because it's like when you're a mum and you love your kids and you love doing everything for them. This was an outlet for me to really use my creative mind to like, it was like a lightning bulb. I I was like, oh my God, we've got all these ideas and we didn't know how we were going to work. We were kind of like at the start, we're like, oh, we're so similar. Like, this is going to be great. We, we wear the same sort of clothes and style (laughs) and look at us. We get along really well. And (laughs) as we started on this journey, we were like, wow, we are really quite opposite in this way and then as we continued on and started listening to other podcasters we actually realized how unique our relationship was because we it's very hard to find someone to co-host with that that has a really yin and yang um, balance that Sophie and I have and we can't explain it we don't understand it we just know that we have something special and every time we rock up to work we are always laughing or you know supporting each other and it really genuinely is the the best bloody job we've got you definitely have great chemistry I think a lot of people over the years have been surprised that you haven't known each other forever so what was it that was I guess floating around your mind that you thought I need to speak about this were there any particular 
challenges or things you were moving through that you thought, why am I speaking about this? I think that... Tell them the real reason. What? Why you started a podcast. Because <laughs> you went on a podcast and you're like, I love talking. I'm you're on like, one. You're like, shit, I, I sounded great. <laughs> I went on a podcast that had absolutely nothing to do with pregnancy, motherhood, anything. But I was just like, you mean you can put a mic in front of me and I get to talk semi uninterrupted for an hour? How fucking Sign me up. I loved it. But no, the reason was, is as I said, I was pre- pregnant with my second bub who turned out to be Goldie. And there, I loved Australian birth stories. There was uh, podcasts around about birth. Like I think there was an American version as well. And I loved listening to them getting prepared for birth. But I was like, what about after that? Like I remember when I had my first poppy and I mean, even though I was in the medical industry, so I guess you do maybe know a little bit more about babies than your average person. But I still was like, you mean like, I had to do more to get my L's than this. Like, you're just going to let me go home with this, with this baby. And I just was like, no one is really, and I guess it was those days of social media still where everything was very highlight really and all of that. And I was just like, surely someone has to talk about what it is for it to be the most incredible thing you're probably ever going to do in your life, but the hardest and the way they can light you up by nothing else, like nothing else, but break you at the same time. And so that's why Jade was one of the first people that I approached because I just felt the way that she was, I guess, uh, raising awareness for the journey she was going through with postnatal depression and anxiety. I'd never heard it explained like that. I had never understood it like the way she was able to explain it and I was just like this is a story that needs to be told more than you know even more needs to be heard by people and so I guess that's where I was like we need to talk more about the realities of of motherhood rather than thinking the birth is the finish line because really the birth is the starting line. And you've both been very open about mental health struggles that have showed up in motherhood. Jade I think maybe more postnatally for you and so more in pregnancy. I might be making assumptions there. Can you both let me know how that's showed up for you? I've always had like anxiety and a bit of depression my whole life, but it was never a, a big black cloud. Like it was something that I dealt with every now and then, but I kind of wasn't aware how severe it was. It was just something that I didn't understand. Mental health really wasn't talked about when I was growing up, that's for sure. So I had no real idea what was going on. I just knew that I was probably anxious and that's just something I had to deal with in life. And then I had my first child, my second child. Yes, stressful motherhood. It's it's hard. It's exhausting, crying, mastitis. You know, there's, there's great times. There's really difficult times. But then I had my third child. And I think going into that, I really just assumed that I could do, you know, another child because I've had two other children. So what's another? Like I can do it all. And what really hit home when I came home from hospital was that I really had this idea, like I pre-meditated this idea of me being able to do all of my life the way it was before having the third child and then coming home and just putting another one on top of everything else. And it took a few weeks. I had to have a blood transfusion because I lost 
I lost blood, but I also was so iron deficient. So that was one of the biggest things when I got home that I struggled with. I also just had no, it was like no emotion towards my older children. And I'm like, why don't I feel like I like I'm looking at them with love? I don't, I don't understand why that's happening. Maybe I'm just really tired. And then I was looking at my daughter and this is a, a, a memory that I'll never forget. She was on the bed, my youngest, the baby, and she was laughing. And when I looked at her in the eyes, I had tears running down my face because I was like, how come I'm crying in misery looking at you being so happy? And the thought that I had going over and over in my head was, I should be happy and I should be like loving this moment, except I'm trying to tell myself to love this moment, what is going on. And then the whole catalyst of everything in the end was I just heard my other two children screaming. I went numb inside. I could barely talk to my partner. I was absolutely petrified of what was happening because I didn't understand. So the anxiety spiraled into depression, depression into like consistent, constant panic attacks to a point that led me to hospital. And when I walked in there with my baby and had tears streaming down my face, I said, somebody needs to help me because I don't know what is going on, but I'm so scared. And from there, it was a really, really, really long road to recovery, which is still an ongoing process, but in this light. I have been able, and thanks to this podcast, talk about mental health, talk about postnatal depression, talk about the truths of motherhood that are so real and hard. And I guess my vulnerability and the way I can articulate it, I can't articulate a lot of things, but I can with my heart. A lot of people thank me for that because they it's really hard to describe these sort of emotions when you're so deep and dark in them and what about you Soph I think it more came out for you in preg- in your most recent pregnancy yeah so you know I've had a, a little bit of a sprinkling of anxiety here and there but mental health is not something that I have ever personally experienced and the first time I felt it was when I was pregnant with my second but it was very much contained to the first trimester I would say that it was probably for about six weeks and I think I put it down to because I had hyperemesis it was like well if I physically feel this shit of course I mentally feel crap and it was that I guess that similar thought process of I would look at my first child who had usually brought me so much joy and I wouldn't even be having like a quote unquote hard day with her and I would just be like I don't really feel anything when I look at you like you don't really bring me the same feelings that you did before I got pregnant or I would you know, I sometimes have to call Nick and be like, I need you to come home from work and look after Poppy because I have to be in a dark room in silence on my own. Like I can't, like just so low and so heavy. But as basically as soon as the first trimester was over, even though I was still feeling sick, that kind of heaviness and darkness really went away. And it didn't, I didn't feel it again until I was pregnant the third time. And it definitely rocked me the most as soon as I peed on that stick and found out I was pregnant and look the pregnancy was a surprise we always wanted a third child but it it just hadn't been planned 
And I think that was part of it because it was, it was the shock of it as well. And then the anxiety, I mean, I went away on a work trip with Jade to Sydney for a night or two, and I was riddled with anxiety about when the sick feelings were going to begin. And Jade had to just keep saying to me, just get through today. Stop thinking about what you're going to wake up with tomorrow. Just get through the day. And it was I mean, look, I've never been diagnosed with it and I and I hate when people throw around diagnoses, but I feel like maybe it's potentially what you feel like with PTSD. It was this this just absolute paralyzing fear of that sickness starting again. And and it did with a vengeance. Um and I was so low. And I think at the time I felt like because there was improvement when I got out of the first trimester, if you probably asked me, I would have been like, yeah, I was depressed during my first trimester. And it wasn't until I had Pearl, my third baby, that I was like, wow, no, I was definitely depressed the whole time. Like my husband even turned to me still in the birth suite and was like, oh my, like I get goosebumps. He's like, oh my goodness, you are back. Like you're back in your face, you're back in your body. It was that feeling, especially in the first trimester, that if some, this is how I describe the feeling. I was so exhausted of myself. I was so over feeling low and just over my own company, but I didn't have it in me to be in anyone else's company. And I was over talking about myself. Like if someone asked me how I was, I was over saying how shit I was, but I didn't have it in me to talk about anything else because it was so all consuming. And you feel so selfish and tired and just, ugh. And um, it was the the feeling is that if someone had have literally walked into my bedroom and said, "Here's a tablet, take it. You're going to be asleep for ten weeks. You're going to miss all these things. Everyone's going to miss you." I would have just been like, "I don't give a flying fuck what I miss." And I think that's, I, I think that's the closest I've got to. I wasn't suicidal, but I was like. I get how you get so exhausted of your circumstance and your brain that you do that. I can relate to a lot of that for, I reckon, about eight weeks of my first trimester. And it, it's a scary feeling. And then I think on top of that, motherhood does something to your heart that makes it a million times more vulnerable, like 5,000 layers have been peeled off. It is really hard to talk about, especially in the moment, as we've touched on. How did you have the courage, I guess, to bring this to such an open platform? Because it's one thing to sit here and be like, we do need to be open, but it is really hard to talk about these things. I think especially to do with parenting. So how did you feel sharing that with the world? Yeah. So I guess for those that don't know, I did like a first trimester diaries where each week Jade and I sat down and I went through how the week was and we didn't release it. Like I wasn't until I was like 12 or 13 weeks that I announced that I was pregnant. And I guess we released the whole trimester at once. And the reason I wanted to do it is because I had even done it to myself in the previous two pregnancies. And look, I don't know if it's hormonal, it's a coping strategy. It's the only way you go back to have more kids. But I was like, everyone speaks of these experiences. And Jade has done a similar one during a depressive episode. And we did it because we're like, everyone speaks of these situations in hindsight. Yeah. And there's always things in hindsight that you gloss over. Or there's that element of hope because you're on the other side of it. But when you're in it, 
often that hope is missing. And sometimes the stories of being on the other side, as much as they are helpful to some degree, it's like, yeah, but it you can talk about it once it's over. What about while you're, when in, you're it? in it? And I think even once I was feeling remotely better, if I had have done an episode on that, it would have come from a different place because it has to because you're feeling differently. And so I guess that's why we thought it was important. And I did find it cathartic because I it was that, you know, as much as I didn't want to talk about it all the time, it was that one point each week where I was like, nah, you can just let rip, like say how you actually feel, talk about how shit it is. Um, and I guess like you, of course, in that first trimester, you have this, this layer of knowing that there's other people that would give anything in the world to be pregnant. And here I was like, my husband didn't pull out in time and I managed to get pregnant. Like, you know, there's those feelings of, oh my God, and you're so ungrateful. Um, but I try and remind myself and everyone who's going through a rough pregnancy that, you know, gratitude and loving pregnancy do not have to go hand in hand. They are two things that can be completely mutually exclusive and your ability to be a mother has nothing to do with your experience or joy of pregnancy. They are not the same thing. And I think this, the, the beauty of social media and these platforms like podcasting is you can feel safe in the sense that when you're writing something, like when I first wrote about how I was feeling, I simply wrote it in my notes and then I, I saved it in my notes because I just wanted to get it out of my head so I could understand what I'm doing. And I do that a lot, actually, especially when I'm message, like I need to say something to my husband. I'm like, hang on, let me just go write a note to you. And then <laughs> I'll give you that and you'll really know how I feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. But anyway... I, you can edit it a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, that that's too harsh. I won't yeah, send that one. Yeah, yeah. We'll <laughs> throw it twice. <laughs> I decided that time that I just post it and I was like, it's vulnerable. But if I feel, the thing is when I do something, if it's me, 100% me, I can never regret it. I don't, it, it might be embarrassing to some people. It might be, I don't know what people fe think or feel when they read things that when they say they're, you know, that you're being vulnerable. But it's, it's who I am. So I have no, I don't get cringed out. I'm like, that's it. I've done it. I've said it. I might not look at it again, but I've done it at the time. So I think with us, with the podcast, especially when we are doing this, we sit with each other. We don't really think about how many people might listen to these episodes and who it is. And if we had faces and we saw that, maybe that would be a little bit harder, but because it's always us and it always has been for four years, it's almost like a little therapy dear diary session where mm. we can always speak about how we're feeling and then it comes out and then like, I will say something to Sophie or Sophie will say something to me and we kind of like think about it. We're like, oh yeah. So it's kind of just listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's such a, it, it's honestly the, the strangest, most special place when I know there's a lot of downsides to social media and these sort of things, but for us, there is a lot of positives and I think and I like to hope that we bring a lot of positives for other people that listen. When I think about the Christmas holiday period, I feel both excitement and dread. It's a time of joy, but it can also be stressful. And even more so as I head towards the end of my second pregnancy with a busy toddler in tow. With this in mind, Elan House of Wellness wants mothers to prioritise themselves this summer. 
through their incredibly thoughtful offering of dry mixes like the dark chocolate banana bread, traditional Chinese medicine mixes, I can't wait to try the Restore Herbal Soup in my upcoming postpartum, and gifts including affirmation cards, beautiful body oils, mists and creams. Elan House of Wellness is changing the way we think about postpartum care and looking after mothers. Whether it's a gift for yourself for getting through this crazy period or something for the special mother figure in your life, you can shop their range of family and pregnancy-friendly products at elan.house. All of their products are carefully curated through a contemporary interpretation of ancient Chinese traditions that believe that when you support the well-being of the mother, you in turn support the entire family. Listeners of Ready or Not will receive 10% off using code POSTPARTUMREADY at elan.house. This offer has no expiration date, but excludes 28-day postpartum packages and gift certificates. I think you're amazing for doing it too, because people can often seem like they have it all on social media, right? You've both got three gorgeous girls. You've got this awesome career happening, but we all bloody struggle and it's really scary to share it. So I think you've opened up probably thousands of conversations and speaking of conversations, you've had so many. What do you think are either the key themes or the biggest things you've learned? That's a big question when you've been going for four years. I think like this is so cliche and I guess everyone knows it, but do you really know it when you're going through something? You are never the only person going through anything. Like, and it's so funny because motherhood is the most common yet isolating Mm. experience. And it's so easy to think you're the only person going through something, especially if you're looking at things that look flashy or whatever. And I just think that, yeah, I guess sometimes you share things and it may feel scary, but it's always those things that come back with an avalanche of, oh my God, I feel seen or, you know, all of that kind of thing. And I think that trying to remember in the hard moments, not to downgrade the challenge you're having, you can still feel it and find it shitty and wish it was different, but just knowing that that there's also other people going through it. And I guess a lot of the questions, a lot of the messages we get is like, I'm not happy you're going through this but I'm also relieved that someone else is going through this, which is cool. And I think, as you said, like no one has their shit together. Everyone is juggling balls left, right and centre, no matter how much support or lack thereof they have. So, yeah. And I think the main the main bit is being relatable. If you put conversations out there that people can feel supported or they can feel like, oh, I feel that, like I feel that I'm having that, hard time with my child and then you go when you're listening to it fuck okay I'm not dead mad or I'm not a bad mom it's just that yeah normal thing to feel this way and that's okay and then there'll be you know episodes about other things like a mother's mental load like to sit there and listen to two moms talk about those ever never-ending lists to hear people say that and you sit there and you're you're literally sitting there probably got a baby I don't know if I can crying or wiping snot on you and you can go I relate to this so much it just makes I don't know you just feel like everything is okay but like yeah at that time because I think the point that we're always trying to make is we get it's hard and I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to nurture and support you in the fact that you aren't alone which we always do say but at the same sense we we want you to be okay in that moment Mm. like 
like you're okay in that moment and just know that it is fucking tough but you are you've got it you've got it and I think it's funny because some of the episodes that like for example recently we've done a tween episode and I'm like I'm not gonna Mm. get anything out of that my eldest is not even six yet and I haven't stopped talking about that episode like I got so much out of it and so I think that sometimes it is funny that in motherhood you can assume that you aren't going to relate to something, but because there's so much overlap with so many different topics, actually it can be advice about this one thing, but you're like, but I've taken that and used that in this area of motherhood. And, you know, it just shows we're just this like web of like interconnecting stories. We've got ladies and listeners that come on and they don't have any kids, but they love the conversation so much. They're like, oh, I'm not practicing all these things, but I have literally going to pin them when I do fall pregnant and I do have kids to listen back to. And we absolutely love hearing that. What you both just said was literally what I was about to ask you next. I feel like since, and I hate to say the sentence becoming a mother, but it is since becoming a mother, so I don't know how else to say it, is that even if someone had the most polar opposite motherhood experience to me, for some reason, you can always find that you at least slightly understand what they're going through for the first time. Do you feel that way? Yeah, and it's funny. I had this big vent, and I know that Jade has just like touched on um, relatability. But I sometimes get annoyed at how much we expect relatability, that something has to basically completely overlap our story for it to be worthwhile listening to. Whereas I'm of the opinion, if everything you read, listened to, watched, every friend you made (laughs) had a completely relatable life to you. And this is probably a touch point for me because I've been told before, oh, you're not relatable anymore because of X, Y, and Z. But I'm like, how boring. Would we really glow, uh, grow? Like we would feel seen, sure. But are you growing? Are you learning more? No, but it is true though, because as much as you can be relatable, you also want to bring conversations that you have never thought you are interested in or Uh, understood before and it delves into different pathways and this is just in parenting like we could go down we have conversations with people that at the start I'm like oh I never thought about that next minute it's something that I've thought about so like it's a core value (laughs) (laughs) I get get a bit annoyed about like the whole relatability olympics because I feel like it, it it means that people feel like they can't speak unless they've got it's kind of like remember on Australian Idol it's like you couldn't get an audition unless you had this other story that literally had nothing to do yeah. with your singing. And so you can just tell people are making up shit or making out that things are a bigger impact on their life than they actually are because they feel like they need to have this like thing to be listened to. Whereas we've all got many things, you know, and some people have big things. And um, yeah, and so I do think that if you if you really listen to stories that maybe you don't think are relatable to you at the start, you learn so much more. And as you say, you can find something in common with every mother. And it's so interesting the way you word that because motherhood can almost be the ultimate divide because there's really challenging experiences. And then there's pretty textbook experiences that still are like so wildly challenging. Like the way your heart changes after becoming a mother is enough to like make you a totally different person. But it can be really hard to talk about those things if you're having like what someone else can perceive as quite a mundane motherhood experience. Yeah. But inside, like, you're totally different. Your entire world's changed. (laughs) The entire world's changed. 
So you've both been pretty amazing at re-engineering your careers to work with parenting. What does a week look like for you? It's not working right now. (laughs) (laughs) We try, we've implemented a few things. Look, it's funny because we've been doing this for over four years and it has been, we have no template. We, we don't follow, like if people started this now, you know that you have to have a microphone, you know that you have to be in a soundproof room. We were out outdoors, like there was pl- like planes flying over. I love us. that. Were you under the table? I feel like you're under the table. Brilliant. Yeah, we were over. We were under a light pass. That's where we were. At, at one point we were in my car uh, recording an episode with a guest and we have just done it all and we're, I guess we're creating our own pathway and like welcome anyone who wants to follow this, but we don't know what we're doing. We have realized that we have a million jobs, 6,000 kids, and we need to have some help, which we've just brought on this year to make it better. But in that sense, that allows us to have time to give even more to our family and to our listeners. So we're kind of being a little bit more proactive. I, yeah. I mean, I'm in a stage right now that I'm finding it quite challenging and I'm at that point that I'm sure so many mothers get to where they're like, I need my child to be in more care, but I don't want my yeah. child to be in more care. Like I cannot stand another hour away from you, but I'm drowning. I have three girls. My eldest is nearly six, then nearly four, and then I've got a nine-month-old baby. And I have probably a bigger workload now than I did before I had Pearl. And I have one solid day of childcare a week where we have a nanny that comes to the house. I like, I'm super lucky that my husband also works in content creation type work. So we're both really flexible, but it's just a lot. Next year, we're going to probably have her in care two days a week. And then Nick and I will share the rest, but it's just this full like tug on your heartstrings where it's like, I don't want to work around you because I hate doing that as well, but I also am not ready to be with you less, but I have to be with you less. And yeah, like it, what's happening right now is not working. Like, I just don't feel like I, like I had this awful situation last week where we went to Sydney for work and my eldest daughter was able to fully articulate she was like to me I just want a day just with you like and she basically said you're working too much and I want a day just with you and I think because my husband and I parent 50 50 work 50 50 I'm always like oh if my workload goes up it doesn't matter because they've got him and they're comfortable with him and but yeah my daughter was able to like look me in the eye and be like no no no, I need you and I found that so hard because I'm not ready for that (laughs) I know. And, but you know what, when I only had toddlers, I was like, oh my God, I can't wait till they can articulate what they actually need rather than throwing themselves on the floor. But I'm like, at least when they're throwing themselves on the floor, I can pretend it's because they're hungry or, you know, like I don't need to blame myself. It feels unreasonable. Whereas that you're like, shit. And here I am having this child that can literally say to me, no, I need you. And I couldn't give that to her. And I looked at my diary and I was like, the next time I can give you me is a week away. So how did you make yourself feel better in that moment? Because we can't help these things. Like you didn't do anything wrong. I, I mean, I had to remind myself that that she's going to be okay. Like she has a great relationship with her dad. I kept telling her that it, it's in the diary, it's locked in, but it's going to be this day. 
but I felt like shit. Like I was a guilt-ridden, anxious mess the whole time we were in Sydney. Until and you got the phone call and FaceTime Poppy and Poppy couldn't give couldn't us shit. in a flying fuck. And I said to her, <laughs> she'd had this meltdown um, because I couldn't take her to preschool that morning because I had to go to the airport. And, you know, it had just like, you know, that feeling where like you, you just want to be in a million places at once and you can't, you're only one person. Yeah. And I, I had stewed on it all day, all day, all day. Anyway, finally she finished preschool and I FaceTimed her and I like to do this thing at the end of the day with both of them where I say, you know, what was the best part of your day and what was a part that you found challenging? And they're still at the age now where most of the time they go, dunno and dunno. But I'm like, I swear if I stick with this, they'll give me a meaningful answer one day. And I said to her, oh, what was the hardest part of your day? Thinking she's going to turn around going, oh, the monumental scene I made getting in the car this morning. And she goes, oh, I don't know. And I was like, oh, okay. And she goes, oh, no, I do know. And I'm thinking, oh, here she goes. She's going to say, oh, it was how hard it was to leave you today. She goes, oh, there was this sparkly spiral at preschool and I couldn't get it to all like lay out together the way it's meant to be. And I just, I didn't know if I wanted to laugh or cry in that moment because I was like, like I've been suffering all day. <laughs> I am broken. I have been suffering. I have been on the edge of tears. If someone said boo to me, I would have burst into tears. And here you are, this spirally sparkle <laughs> shit that I don't even know what you're talking about was the thing. So yeah, it's it's not working how it is right now, but we're constantly trying to rearrange and we've just brought on a VA who has just like lightened the workload so much so that we can like concentrate on the parts that are really important to us and you know the, the parts that we're good at and yeah we're trying we're constantly trying to re-engineer it so it works better but I think it's just are you ever in perfect harmony no I, and I think if you strive for that you're never going to be happy that sparkle story is a great reminder to anyone listening that's just done like a really shitty daycare drop-off or similar so I love that yeah I get a lot of feelings on the precipice of like trying to have a mat leave I freelance starting to bring in money through ready or not probably nowhere near as busy as you guys but the same sort of chaotic energy of like this all sort of falls on me and there's no real boss and it's all over the shop and I often have these moments of being like why didn't you just go back to that job where you could have walked in and clocked off do you ever have those moments I actually said this the other day, I was feeling really like burnt out and overwhelmed and tired and had mum guilt. And I cried to my husband and I said, it was more of the fact that I was looking around. I was like, sometimes I wish I could just make everyone a yummy dinner, like have the time to do that. Sometimes I wish I could fold everyone's washing. So all their bloody cupboards are looking really nice and they know where all their clothes are. Sometimes I wish I could just, you know, all the tiny little things that I, I used to do when I was a mum of one, I was just kind of like yearning to do that because I was so burnt out. And he kind of, like, he said to me, one, that's with one kid. Like you could, you could do that with one. You wouldn't be doing that with three kids anyway, because you'd just be like, I've got to do something else to break, you know, I need some creative space. And it wasn't that I didn't want to do this job or do anything like that. It was, it was trying to find the balance of my life and knowing that you can't put your eggs all in one basket and you also are always going to want something you can't have. Like there's just this always, like the, to the stay at home months, when you're looking at people going to work because you're exhausted and you've got screaming kids on you all day, they are 
at their desk or wherever they are yearning to be home looking after their sick kids. And this is the way that it is. I don't know why we have to feel this way, but I guess in a sense, it like when we were saying in terms of relatability, sometimes when you're uncomfortable in a situation, it makes new pathways. And that could be mentally or it could be logistically, practically. And I find these, and sometimes I have to be reminded when I cry and I have these little explosions, but I have to remind myself that anytime we break down or we, we go through these things, something greater comes out of it. But you always have to go through these hard emotions and these, these situations like your mum guilt with Poppy. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, maybe it didn't mean much to her in the end, but you know what? We're going to navigate a way to make our job easier Mm. so we don't have to have that happen again and it's just little things like that that you kind of go oh okay and I think similarly off your question I think there's this beauty and hardness when something that you love and are passionate about becomes your job and obviously that's like that's your dream that like your hobby or your passion becomes your vocation but it can be a double-edged sword because it makes boundaries even harder and it can make you go, okay, so I've allocated this time for me in the day. Oh, but I love what I do. So I'm going to do that. And all of a sudden a month passes and every time you've had the slightest bit of space in reality, you've worked. And at the end of the day, like we love what we do. And I feel so fucking lucky to have this job because I can't imagine anything else I'd rather be doing. But sometimes I do have to remind myself, but that is work. Yeah. So that can't be your your downtime. You you have to switch off. And I find switching off really, really difficult. Well, I think it's because the mixture of creativity and passion. Yeah. It's like you, you also feel like you can continue doing it forever because it's your baby. You're like, oh, no, I've, I, I don't have an off switch. And my husband has had to say to me, I need you to put your phone down mm. and I need you to knock off. Yeah. Because you... You can't keep working. Like you, you're, you could be at 2 a.m. or you could be at 6 p.m. when the kids want to eat dinner. Like there has to be a time. And we are, we're getting better with this. But I think anyone that has business, mm-hmm. it's just like you don't have, you don't just like get your briefcase. My dog, this, I can't believe I'm even saying it, but like get your briefcase and just walk out at 5 p.m. and go, I'll finished. I'll see you at 9. It's like, but then there's such positives too because, you know, like, if Poppy had something important yeah. at school, I could go, well, let's rearrange things. You know, like there's so many positives too. Um, but yeah, I guess anyone who's listening who does run, run their own business, who feels like because they do have some element of flexibility, they then can't, you know, whinge about something else. There's pros and cons to all of them. And there's plenty to whinge about. Always. Oh, there's Always. plenty to whinge about. I feel like I'm drowning at the moment. So I totally relate to what you're saying. It's so funny that you had that moment about like wanting to cook dinner because I remember oh, it was probably a few weeks ago now and I had one day with Pearl that I had literally nothing else I had to do and that was such a rarity. And I remember I took her for a walk in the pram and I just looked at her and there was like no draft edits I had to listen to in my oh. ear while I'm pushing her. I was just, you know, fully present. And, you know, while she napped, I, there was nothing else I had to do. And I, I think I read my book and I said to Jade, I was like, oh, I feel really sad because there's been like so few days like that, that I've been able to have in Pearl's life. And Jade goes, yeah, but I know you, if you did that every day, 
you would no longer enjoy that. She's like, you're only enjoying that because you don't get to do that all the time. And I'm like, that's so true. And I think, and this is, you know, I think no matter how you do parenthood, whether you're a stay-at-home mum, whether you're a working mum, it's all fucking hard. But I was like, I know in myself that I couldn't be a full-time stay-at-home mum. And so Jade's like, you wouldn't like that if it was the fifth day in a row that you're doing that with no one else around. You're just liking that because it's the one day you've been able to do that in the past Because it's novel. Yeah. 100%. I could talk to you two for like five more hours, I reckon. I've got two more questions for you because your time is precious as we've just spoken. So I'm about to become a mother of two and I'm also about to have my first daughter. What advice would you give to me on A, navigating becoming a mother to not just one baby now, and B, it being a girl this time. I know we don't like to go too specific in the genders, but I thought it was really interesting the way you spoke about it with Casey Edwards recently of like the world is still set up that way. So we can be as non-gender specific as we want, but the world very much still operates in That's this. That's actually naive because, yeah, I think yeah. Then, then we're not actually like protecting them in any way. Exactly. Like daycare educators might treat her very differently to how I will, for example. So the world's not really set up to appreciate whatever gender neutrality we bring to our parenting. So what advice would you give me on those two things? Look, the biggest thing that we always talk about on our podcast is, I think this is the the biggest thing for any life-changing scenario, whether you get married, you get a new job, you get a new dog. If you have a new baby your whole life is going to change. And if I had have known this or actually processed this, perhaps my postnatal depression would have been a little bit better or I don't know, but I just know that ever since I heard this, I was like, okay, this is a game changer. And it is when you walk into your house with your second baby, who's your little, little girl, you have to treat it as an entire, entirely new normal, a new normal way of thinking a way of house structure, a way of um, communicating with your husband, a way of communicating with your other babe, toddler? Toddler, yeah. He's pretty much a bloody baby. <laughs> Commu- communicating with your toddler. All these elements that you have perfectly or not perfectly narrowed down right now, they're all going to shift and everything's going to be rocking. And I just think that this is the time to be so kind on yourself and even share this conversation with your partner and say, we're going to find a new normal balance. It's going to be a little bit uncomfortable because everyone's going to feel like, oh, this is, this is weird, but that is what is normal. So be kind to yourself, understand that this is going to be a whole new ball game and enjoy the unfamiliar and the uncomfortable because that will be on you normal. It's weird to think that it's going to be so different potentially or just like that you have hindsight but you also don't know what you're going into. As soon as you, like we always say that, oh, how can you love another child because I've only got my heart and as soon as that child, and look, this doesn't happen for every person because I know that you can get postnatal, you know, or you have an issue straight away, but you have a connection instantly usually and it's like you've got your heart grows it doesn't die and it's instant and you just it's kind of just like you can't even explain it but you walk in and it's like this job and I know that that sounds silly but it's like when you love something so much you 
can drown in it, you can go with it, but you will keep on going because you love it so much. Yeah. And I think that the new normal, and I think it's that constantly coming back to that because, you know, what's working for you when she's Mm. two weeks old may then need an adjustment when she's four months old and her naps aren't as long during the day. And it might need an adjustment at six months because suddenly she requires more entertainment or once she's on the move. And I think that sometimes the hardest parts of parenthood are when something that was previously working isn't working anymore, but we're like holding on to it because like that was working. We got used to that. And actually the quicker you realize it's no longer working, I feel like we put so much effort into fixing these things that aren't actually broken. And we ignore the things that probably could do with a bit of a shakeup that are actually bringing us down. But I would say, and this isn't to scare you, but I actually found, and Jade disagrees, and actually my husband disagrees, I found the transition from one to two kids the hardest. Yes. The thing I found hard about it is that when I went from two to three, I was already so aware of how different every baby is because I'd had two different babies before. Whereas I feel like when you go from one to two, And one kid energy is not always a bad thing. It can be a great thing. But of course, like that's all you've known as a child. So every single way your first child has done something is often how you expect the Mm. second one to do it. And I think that can be really challenging. I also think that all of a sudden it's getting that, as we said, you're never going to be in perfect harmony, but it's the juggle that's hard because there's not that one child to hand to your partner and go, cool, I've handed that over and now I'm having a break. It's, of course, you can hand the two over and I bloody hope he takes the two, (laughs) but it's all of a sudden like that break is just harder. It's interesting that you say that because he was so amazing with taking the newborn whenever, whereas now I'm like, I want you to take the toddler, but that means I have to bloody have the newborn in those early days. Yeah. And it is, you have to divide and conquer, which is great, but also you suddenly, because they're difficult in different ways, I found, like, I mean, even when I had my third, we did a lot of divide and conquering and Nick had the older two a lot and I had Pearl and it was so easy to only see our own hard. Like, I was like, they're not hard. Pearl's hard. She's been crying all day and he's thinking... These kids are so fucking hard. You've just been with the baby that sleeps all day and it's so easy to see your own hard. And sometimes I think it's better to just endure both of them or all of them on your own so the other person gets a full-blown break. Oh, that's a great tip. And then swap rather than, like Nick is like, I would much rather we take it in turns that, you know, each morning one of us endures all three so the other person can go and like work out completely on their own rather than this, oh yeah, like go for a walk, but like, can you take the pram and take one of them with you? And then like, no one's had a break. Yes. But you both kind of think the other one's had a break, but they haven't at all. And, but the thing I do want to say about the second is be so proud of the newfound confidence that you come into parenthood. And there'll be moments where you go, oh, I wish I had this confidence when I had the first. It would have made things so much easier. But that's the way parenthood is designed to be and you can't know what you don't know. But I just, like anyone who's about to have their second, stop and notice those moments that you're like, oh, my God, I would have so over uh, like I would have overanalyzed and and overthought about going to that thing with my first but I've just done it without thinking with the two and um 
and 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 yeah, as as Jade said, like be kind on yourself. Take small steps at a time. That like first time out of the house with both of them is so daunting. So like go somewhere familiar with someone the first time, and then the second time go to a park that has a fence around it, and then the third time it might be somewhere that doesn't have a fence around it, and then the fourth time it's like oh it's a bit of a longer drive to get there, and just take these really small steps. Like you don't have to go from being like inside the house to you know running a marathon with both of them like just take those small steps but give yourself a pat on the back and all of a sudden you'll be like oh my god I just took both of them to the shopping center on my own and I didn't even think about it and we got through it and just like pat yourself on the back because they're like huge wins and if you don't see them then like I don't know I just think that like a win has gone past you that really could have been celebrated. That's great advice too, because I actually imagine a lot in your second time around, you're probably expecting more of yourself because you've done it as opposed to just being like, well done. You just did a really great thing. I really fell into that the third time because Pearl's our worst sleeper. And I remember thinking to myself, what the fuck is wrong with you that this is your third child and you can't get them to do just sleep? Like surely you know how to like rock it or feed it in a way that it just sleeps. You've got a mum hack. And I, yeah. And I remember before thinking when people were like, oh, my baby cat naps, how do you get them to sleep in the bassinet? I was just like, oh, you just don't you just put them down. And then like, I, of course they'd had cat napping periods, but it wasn't until I had Pearl that I was like, oh, some babies literally, if you want them to sleep more than five minutes, it has to be on you. I get it now. It wasn't anything I was doing before. That was just the baby. And something that you just brought up made me think about relationships. Everyone told me your relationship changes in parenthood. I have the most relaxed partner in the world and also a very willing, even partner. It still fucking changes heaps and there's still lots of challenges. How have they shown up for you two and how have you navigated or I guess worked on that or learned from that over the years? I feel like our situations have been quite interesting and quite similar in some ways because and there's definitely, as I said, with everything, there's pros and cons to it. But our partners have both gone from mm. being the main income, income earners with us being stay-at-home mums to it not completely flipping the other way. I'd feel like we're both like 50-50 mm. now on parenting, um, which has obviously been really interesting. Obviously, it's so cool that the podcast has grown in a way that that has managed to happen. But it comes with its challenges. But I think the best part of it is you have such shared empathy. Like, yeah. I, I don't want to speak on your behalf, but Nick and I know how taxing it is to go and work. Nick and I know how taxing it is to be home with the girls all day. Nick and I both know what it's like to do that daycare drop off when they don't want to go. We know what it's like, you know, so I, I think there's so uh, like this real shared empathy there because we've done both and it's so easy in parenthood for resentment to build and for it to be like, but you get to go to work and have an adult conversation and piss when you want to piss and the other person's going, oh my God, I miss them so much all day, what I'd give to be home with them. And so I think that is really cool and that has definitely meant, I think that our relationship is better in this postpartum period than it has been in either of the other two because things are so equal and understood between us. That makes such a difference. I think also, and I don't really think about this a lot, but I, I know the world is shifting and changing, but I just think, and I am grateful that we have two partners that have said, you can flourish in this passion and 
will support you and it's your time to have your moment. And like, you know, he could have said, no, I really want to keep doing what I'm doing, but there had to be for us to do this. It literally had to be a, a complete change. We needed someone that had to be flexible. We needed someone to, well, we need that. We needed our other half to be able to go like, I go, oh, I've got to do this or I've got to do that. Or I, I have to fly here. Whereas he, he can do that. If, if it wasn't for him, we, this wouldn't, or both of them, we mm. wouldn't be able to do this. So for that, I'm very grateful. And sometimes you have to suppress the major eye roll that you want to do every time they're praised for doing the absolute bare fucking minimum out in public. I remember I was, I was having to fly somewhere and, and Pearl was coming with me, but I was potentially going to have to fly somewhere else afterwards. So Nick's like, that's fine. I'll just fly back home with Pearl on my own. And he tapped me and goes, oh, I actually want to do that. Imagine the comments I'm going to get. And I was almost like, I'm not going to let you do that because your, your ego will be so fucking big. But I have to remind myself that like when you're in a stage of change, which I feel like our generation is, and us as parents are definitely in this state of change and it will be so interesting to see what the next generation are like as parents like if you want any change there's going to be things that are annoying and I just have to be like yeah you know what the boomers are going to look at him and be like wow you're so amazing that you changed a nappy but I'll take that if it means that I also have you know like the mutual understanding and like the, you know, a bit more of a share of the load. I'll take those annoying comments and be told that I have my hands full, but he's such a great dad. (laughs) Yeah. Cause it can so, it can be so easy to like go too far the resentment way sometimes and be like, no one's bloody said, acknowledged everything I've done today. Cause my parents will always talk about how amazing Hayden is and he is. And even as you're saying that, I'm like, that's okay to say he's amazing. It's actually a good thing. And if it makes another dad be more amazing, then that's great. But as long as you see that you're amazing too. That's, I think, the main point. I think we're all amazing. <laughs> I think we are too, but I still don't really, I just think I'm doing what I'm doing. Isn't that amazing? Like I have this podcast talking about working on motherhood and I listen to your podcast and I think we're all amazing. But deep down, I think I'm still probably a bit programmed to be like, well, I'm just doing my thing. Whereas yeah. when Hayden does it. He's a oh, great dad. hundred percent. But that's because that's like, you know, it's you leave the house on your own and you're asked where your kids are and you're, um, you know, it, all of that is, is Nick babysitting. No, mm. looking after the children that <laughs> yeah, are I pay him is. $30 an hour <laughs> yeah. with the income that I'm earning. Bitch. It does pay babysitting. Yeah. Oh, he's so, yeah, he's so good. <laughs> you're so lucky that he cooks. I'm like, when he's cooking dinner, I'm not sitting on the couch twiddling my fucking thumb. And this is what I mean. We can't go too far that way. It's still great progress, but there's still a ways to go. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with that so much. So my last question for you then is I think a lot of mums want to re-engineer their career post-motherhood. It is a privilege for the most part to have that choice. A lot of people can't do that. So I will acknowledge that. But you've done it in a really incredible way. I don't think you would have ever imagined that Beyond the Bump would essentially become what really is now like a business. It's not just a podcast. It's a business. What would be your greatest piece of advice for a mum or dad who wants to have that sort of change post-parenthood? If you're passionate about something and you want to give something a go, it's nice or good to start it off as a hobby on the side of your actual job to see how you feel about it. And then maybe if it starts taking off, then look more into that. Because I feel like when you've got a 
a child that you are looking after, it's really risky to make that move. And I don't, I'm not sure how you can make that move without, you know, risk taking. So I feel like the best sense would be to channel it as a hobby and then from there, see how it goes. It's kind of like a safe way to. I think definitely finding your why. I think if it's purely because you want to start a business, I think that's challenging. Like I think there has to be the space for it. And that's not saying that no one else is doing it. Like there's a million ways to do it. And, you know, we are the biggest supporters of, you know, other motherhood podcasts. We think that like this, this is the best. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not humble. We think there's room for everyone. And obviously we want all of these things shouted from the rooftops. And similarly with, you know, all businesses out there, there's not only one way to do things, but I think make sure you're not doing it just because you don't like your job or something. Like I, if, if you don't like your job, I'd be like, well, maybe there's a better job in your industry that you could go for rather than doing it purely for that. I think that it's, it's hard because in some ways, like, you know, with childcare costs and all that kind of thing, we're kind of set up to fail and it's really hard at the moment because I've had so many people come to me saying, I want to do a business. I just like, I just don't know what it is and how. And I'm like, it's so hard to be creative and think about these things when we are literally caring for someone else day in, day out, seven days a week. And sometimes you need that space of care to actually have the brain space to go, what is it that I want to do? I found that so much. You're speaking to my soul. Like I need time physically away from Ray to figure myself out. Yeah, to be creative, to be entrepreneurial, to like, how can you come up with this grand idea while you're wiping poo off someone's bum, unless it's related to the poo, it's really, really hard. And so I think that, but then the, the catch 22 is often you can't afford that childcare unless there's money coming in. Yeah. I think that if you can find any space during that maternity leave, obviously that's an epic time to like try something out because maybe you do have a little bit of time and maybe, you know, you're, you're not also working on top of mothering, but, um, yeah, I would just say, find out that why, um, you know, test the waters and yeah, try and find that space to, to, to cultivate it. Cause it can be so hard when you're in the trenches of motherhood 24 seven. That's great advice. And that's exactly how I started ready or not. If I didn't have that space of maternity leave. And I guess what's deemed as lucky and that my work paid me full pay for three months. So then on top of the government, I could take the year. If I didn't, if I didn't have that space, it would have been near impossible. So I think that's great advice. And cause I don't know how go from maternity leave to back at work to, you know, getting used to that new normal while also, I mean, look, there's people who study, work, mother, all at the same time. We're incredible beings. So I'm sure you can do it, but I just think that, yeah, if there's any way you can carve out that space that's not, you know, till midnight once you put your baby to bed or whatever. I think we put too much emphasis sometimes on hustle. I know sometimes hustle is required, but also like it can also catch up and burn you out at the same time. 100% it can. God, the amount of times I've worked till 1am and been like, what are you doing? Like just fucking stop. So I guess to go off that as well, then another huge one is like lean on the support if you have it. If you have a grandmother that's willing and able and you can't pay for other support, lean on it. We find it so hard to ask for help. 
but it's so important for our mental health. Yeah, absolutely. So I think anyone that listens to my podcast will know you guys and your podcast. But just in case there's one person that's been to Ready or Not and doesn't know about yours. I'm sure there's can many. People... No, I don't, I don't reckon. You're pretty well known out there in the sphere. <laughs> Where can people find you and your podcast online? So if you just search Beyond the Bump podcast or Beyond the Bump, I guess, on any of your podcast platforms, it will show up. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at, at beyondthebump.podcast. Yes, that is correct. That's an auto outro on ours. We recorded it once and haven't had to say it since. <laughs> we also find that when you go into Spotify and you type in B-E-Y, the first thing that pops up is Beyonce, Beyonce. and then the second one is Beyond the Bump. That, so, that's probably because I'm that's cool. all the time. <laughs> I think that's more your search history and Spotify. But let us know. But let us let us believe that whenever Beyonce searches for Thanks, her own song, yeah, she, does. We can't, she, she listens to us at the same time. For sure. I'm sure she does. I'm sure she's listened to many episodes. Thank you so much for sharing your stories. I've loved chatting to you. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having us on. And thanks for letting us just word vomit all over right. you. <laughs> Listen to it any day. Thanks for listening to Ready or Not. If you liked the show, please tell your friends, subscribe or write a review. You can also find us on Instagram at readyornot.pod. That's it for today. We'll see you next time.